You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about BuildBook, who in addition to sponsoring this episode, they've developed a program to help all of you during this extremely difficult time. If you don't know what they do, they offer a tool that funnels all the conversations and decisions that occur between you, your team, and your client before, during, and after projects into one place and made it dead simple to use. They've taken something that is chaotic for most of you, like staying on top of all the messages you're getting over text, phone calls, job site conversations, you name it, and brought it into one channel that's simple for anyone on your team to use. Look, I don't need to tell you guys this, but good, clear communication with your clients and team is more critical now than it has ever been. BuildBook knows how important this is for you as well, but also knows the strain this crisis is having on your business. So they're offering their software to you for free. Yes, you heard that correctly. To help you get through this unprecedented time, BuildBook has put together a program to provide you with some free resources, including their software. It's an amazing opportunity that I strongly encourage you to take advantage of. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777. That's one word, BUILDBOOK. They'll immediately send you a link that brings you directly to the page to sign up. There are no strings attached. It's just their way of doing what they can to support your business. So go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777 to get your free account. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Building a Family Business. This is episode three, and we are going to dive into the world of risk and risk tolerance. So uh, construction businesses tend to be a little bit higher on the risk spectrum, especially if you get into things like spec building, you've got big loans, construction loans, things of that nature. Uh, cash flow can be challenging, but we are going to dive in and I'm going to kind of grill Wes and Brooks on risk, how they feel about risk, where they are on the risk spectrum, and then how you manage risk and also uh, think about risk when you're thinking about business partners and people that are involved uh, either in your life and your business. So stay tuned. And this is episode three of Building a Family Business. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Building a Family Business. I'm Spencer here with Wes and Brooks. Brooks, how's it going today? It's going great. Another Good. Day. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. How about you, Wes? Hey, going well. Thanks. Good, good. So yeah, today we were going to dive into the topic of risk. I think that was something that came up in episode one as we kind of got going into the, some of the history that just started to unfold and and the three of us were kind of talking off the air and figured that would be a fun topic, especially since this business tends to be fairly risky in nature or it can be. Um, but I thought we might just talk about you know, where we fall on the risk scale to start, you know, so Brooks, as you think about, you know, I kind of think about risk on a spectrum, you know, you might be a, a high risk or low risk type of personality or more, um, you know, I don't know, inclined to take risk or not. Where do you think you fall on that scale just, and has it changed over time? I would say it's been, I, I fall, you know, the scale is one to 10, let's say, uh, 10 being the highest risk, one being the lowest risk. I'm definitely in the you know, eight to nine on taking financial risks. I mean, 
uh, risks with my physical person, like jumping off a cliff or something like that. I'm pretty low risk. But, uh, yeah, don't like heights. Yeah, yeah, I'm not big on heights, but uh, it definitely on the financial side uh, tend to be on the higher end of the spectrum for sure. Yeah, and do you do you know why that is? Do you think it's just inherent, like just part of you, or do you I feel like you've inherent. decided? I think to... I'm just yeah. that's how I'm wired because um, I think as we delve into it deeper here is we'll find there's other people with different risk tolerances and um i would uh i'm still i mean even now i'm still pretty high risk you know financially willing to take those chances you know, for a higher return sure yeah and wes you know if we're using that same one to ten scale you know where do you think you are and now you've got maybe you had a number in your head before brooks answered and then you know i don't know if that changed your answer <laughs> brooks no I was thinking about that. I assumed you're kind of using a scale of one to 10. And I would say 10 is, hey, putting the house and everything else all on black, you know, going to Vegas, that would be my definition of 10. And then one would be suspenders and a belt. So, you know, I think that's kind of a, a one or a zero. And I would say, based on Brooks, Brooks, you said you were eight, nine? Eight, nine, yeah. Eight, nine? Okay. I would say I'm probably today, I would say that in the past, and I think that's one thing we might want to talk about is where, how people's risk tolerances change over time, right? So I would say today that I'm probably a six, a six, maybe a seven. Um, But I would say that when I started my building career way back in the late 70s, early 80s my risk tolerance was much higher i would think it would have been more up in the eight nine uh range as well and i think that just changes over time um as you go through life and have different experiences uh, around risk and either you know reinforces your risk level or it can change that risk level or your tolerance for risk and i think age has something to do with that as well yeah and and so brooks you said you probably have been consistent around that that eight nine so i'm interested to kind of dig into this why do you think your risk tolerance hasn't changed much and then maybe we'll bounce over to us and you can talk about why yours has and has gone down i think it's an interesting question spencer because the the my risk tolerance has probably not gone down my spouse's uh risk tolerance has gone down Hmm. And it may be that that helps moderate. I don't have to moderate or modulate my risk tolerance because um, I'm married to someone with a lower risk tolerance, probably still a six or a seven. Um, but then I'm going to be balanced by that. Um, and um, but the you know, my for me, risk tolerance was governed by you know my desire to you know make money. So I'm willing to take more risk. To make more money, and I and maybe that's changes with Wes what you're saying with age, or it also might change with accumulation of assets. Um, so I don't know what you think about that, Wes. Yeah, no, I I agree with that, and that's probably what I would have said. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely my risk tolerance was much higher in the past because I could see by using leverage, you know, we could make a lot more money when we when we started in the building business and. And uh, we can we can talk about leverage and the good and the bad of, of leverage. But certainly at the beginning, I saw all the good parts of, of leverage, being able to use very little money, you know, borrow money from a bank and be able to make really great returns um, in the building business. Uh, of course, that is the it's a two edged sword. Um, but I think that my tolerance level has come down as I've seen. Yeah, you, know, you go through a couple of downturns and some different things. You go, oh, okay, well, here's the the darker side of of leverage, and so I want to deleverage a little bit. I don't want to have that much exposure. And then once you get to a point where maybe you don't you don't use leverage, then all of a sudden you're going, well, this feels pretty good. At least it did for me, and so I have less desire to go out and and use leverage in order to make higher returns. However, I will say that. Uh, the less risk you take, you do make much lower returns. And so that can be super frustrating as well. So if you have a, a higher risk tolerance, all of a sudden you'd be going, man, I, I'm not making the kind of money I should make. Um, maybe I need to up the game a little bit and take on a little bit more risk in order to do that. 
Yeah. So on that topic, you know, it's, you always hear that, you know, high risk, high reward, and obviously there's a downside to the high risk as well. You know, as business owners, a lot, and a lot of people listening are business owners or potentially future business owners. How do you think about managing and balancing that risk? You know, obviously a lot of us get into business for, you know, maybe that financial upside, there could be other reasons you have a, you know, a purpose you're trying to fulfill or a mission with the company. Um, but there's usually a monetary component to it. Um, so how do you say, Hey, I need to be on the higher end of this, but are there things you can do to mitigate that risk? You know, and Brooks says you, maybe you can chime in first and think about your experience over the years. Are there certain things that, you thought about or tried to do saying like, yes, I'm, I'm a, you know, eight or a nine, but I'm trying to have my end result, like feel more like a five or a six or something like that. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Spencer, because the, the, the challenge we have as small business owners is that we typically have to personally guarantee any money we borrow. And so that's a, uh, the listeners out there, personal guarantee is you're guaranteeing you will pay this money back regardless of what happens with your business or what happens um, financially. So it's a personal guarantee, which then typically means you're pledging your house, your assets, you know, for both you and if, if you have a partner, your partner. Um, and it's nice if you get to a situation where you don't have to pledge those assets and you could maybe get guarantees. So there's opportunities for guarantees from other people. Um, opportunities to have other people use their money. Um, there's ways if you're um, married, you can have your spouse own some of the assets and then you are just guaranteeing personally. So you're putting only your credit at risk. Um, so there's different vehicles that can be used to mitigate that risk. So like as Wes says, you're not putting it all on black at Vegas and you know, hope, it, you know, hope it works out. Yeah, and I think the other thing you can do too, those are all great ideas. Um, I think the other tack that you can take is just in before you take on the risk, you kind of walk your way through what that risk entails, and then you run out your what if scenario. So you're going, hey, okay, um, what if the economy goes into a recession? Uh, what if I pick up four or five more competitors? What if you know, so you kind of go through all these different scenarios and ask yourself, what would I do in that situation and think your way through what your response strategy is going to be. And then I think once you do that, something that maybe felt like it was an eight on the risk scale might drop down to a five or a six because you realize that, hey, I can manage these, these different uh, aspects. And I think the longer you're in business too, and you see more scenarios, you realize that you can handle a lot of different types of things that come up. And so your perceived risk level of five or six might be someone else's 10, or your perceived risk level of three or four might be someone else's 10. You know, so it's it's really depends on your feeling of confidence and your feeling of competence about handling what could happen uh, if things go south. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I was just talking to a buddy of mine and we were talking about this risk spectrum and he's more into investing in stocks, whereas I'm more investing into real estate and businesses and that sort of thing. And um, I, I asked him where he thought I was on the risk spectrum. And I tend to think of myself as a little more conservative, you know, so I might put myself at, you know, five, six or seven or somewhere in there. Um, and he said, I'm probably like a, a nine, you know, and <laughs> uh, yeah. so it's, it's all right. And you guys are kind of <laughs> laughing, you know, if you, if you're watching this, you can see, but if you're just listening to the audio, these guys are laughing because I'm, they probably know me as much more conservative than both of them <laughs> individually. Um, but it's all, you know, it's all relative. And the, I think the reason that I think I'm lower on that spectrum is exactly what you were saying, Wes, is that like I invest in generally individual stocks versus like mutual funds or index funds. And people say it's always safer to diversify, but I did a lot of research on those individual stocks and I dug into their numbers and I looked at where they were going and I was closer to them. And so I felt a lot more comfortable. And that was kind of what you said is like that, like confidence or confidence in those areas. And same with 
when I purchased my first rental, I ran the numbers and it was like, well, what's the worst case scenario? Uh, and am I comfortable with that? And can I, could I figure out how to manage that? So uh, those were just two personal examples, but basically, you know, exactly what you were describing. Um, but I think that risk spectrum is very interesting because it's all relative compared, you know, to what somebody else is, you know, doing with, uh, with their actions or their dollars and that sort of thing. I was having, Spencer, I was having a conversation with a, a buddy the other day and this conversation about, are you a real estate guy? Are you a stock guy? Are you a business guy? And everyone believes in what, you know, they really believe in. And so I think the, the balance coming out of that discussion is, well, you can be spread across several different things and then understanding each different uh, investment type um, and using that to your advantage. So if you're an owner of a small business, like we all have been and are, you might invest in your 401k in a certain way. But like for me, I don't know much about the stock market. So I'm all in index funds in my 401k because I just, I'm focused hundred percent on my own business, not focused on the stock market. Um, so that's how I manage my risk with that since I know nothing about it. Yeah, I think it goes back to control for a lot of people if you feel like you can control the outcome. So I, I would tend to be with, with Brooks in terms of looking at the stock market going, well, I don't feel like I can control that. So it feels a little bit like going to Vegas, you know, um, and that's just because I haven't probably taken the time to educate myself so I can make informed decisions and do it in a, in a practical and astute way. So I, well, I think once again, it goes back to how can you minimize your risk level just through your educational process and what you're comfortable with in your experience. However, I will say that uh, we do have a, a relative who shall remain nameless, who was uh, very much into real estate. That was the only thing to do. Um, did not believe in the stock market. It was, you know, just a terrible, terrible thing. People lost all their money in the stock market. Um, this individual was required by a bank to, for a real estate loan to invest in the bank stock and had to buy uh, a small amount of bank stock. Well, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the person who did that buy bought 10 times the amount of stock that they were supposed to buy for, <laughs> for this individual. <laughs> so uh, they were aghast when they found out until the stock tripled. And then <laughs> this person is now a total devotee to the stock market and has been for probably you know, 30 years. <laughs> so once again, you know, if you have a little good experience, then you kind of go, well, I, I want to learn more about this and, and maybe figure out how this actually works. Maybe it's not a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> so going back to kind of the risk spectrum and, and Brooks, you had mentioned uh, that, you know, your wife maybe brings averages out, you know, your risk, but let's talk about, you know, if you're in business either for yourself, um, but you're in a relationship. And so you've got to think about that, you know, part of the risk component, uh, or maybe you don't. And then also if you have, you know, a partner or multiple partners in the business, you know, so how do you uh, balance that out? And is it, do you think it's better or worse to have, people that are on the, you know, similar risk styles, or is it better to have people that are, you know, different because you do get some of that, that balance there? Well, it's interesting because if you're, um, if you're married, then typically all your finances are commingled and you're, you know, both partners are going to be signing, you know, guaranteeing, um, guaranteeing on loans and things like that. But probably, you know, those conversations you're having before you get married are not about, uh, hey, what's your risk tolerance? <laughs> uh, that sounds like <laughs> a fun conversation. Yeah, it sounds like a fun conversation. It certainly wasn't one that has uh, an eye had. But I think it's a good thing as you're going into business to have those conversations. Um, you know, some people are in a relationship, not married, but in business together. Um, I've seen that happen, um, which makes it a little more complicated legally. But again, the conversations are key. And then if you're partners, like uh, I was partners for, I'm still partners with my younger brother, Todd, and he, and he has a different risk tolerance and his spouse has a different risk tolerance. So you're managing not just your business partner's risk tolerance, but their, their life partner's uh, risk tolerance. So you can have a lot of different risk tolerances to deal with and then you also have ages age spectrum so 
Wes, that you were talking about, you have all these different age spectrums that people um, are thinking differently depending on their age. You know, one thing too, I think, uh, as you, Brooks, as you're talking about partners and, you know, I, so lots of partners are 50, 50, you know, some partners are 70, 30, you know, they have some, some other split, but I think where you might end up with problems, if you have a partner and you're thinking about your different levels of risk tolerance, say, okay, uh, if you have a minority partner, let's say minority partners in for 40% or 30%, but the majority partner has much higher risk tolerance. And so they may be doing things that the minority partner really can't control, but they, so they feel stressed all the time because of what the majority partner is doing. Uh, vice versa, you know, hey, if the majority partner um, has very low risk tolerance and you have a minority partner who really wants to go, 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 and they want to take on more risk, then, then that can cause a problem too. So it could work both ways. But I think those that's one of those things in talking to your partners, or even if you're in a relationship right now in business is to talk through that and go, okay, what, what are different risk tolerances? Where's the control? Where's the, you know, and think about those two things because I think they're, they're actually joined. And if you don't work your way through that, you can have some discordant relationships or potentially could have some discordant relationships. Yeah, I think, um, you know, so you guys have kind of mentioned that you have to at least take these things into consideration and think about them. Um, I, I guess I'm curious, just because you've had personal experiences, probably on different sides of the coin, you know, either being the more risky person or the the less risky person. Uh, maybe not you, Brooks, because you're, you know, a nine, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess when you have to go to make decisions, how does that end up playing out? And I mean, I know that it's not like, oh, it always ends up this way. But, uh, you know, for people listening, like, how do you navigate that? Somebody's low risk, somebody's high risk, and you're, you know, you want to make some moves in the business. You know, what, what do you do about that? I think it's lots of conversation. I mean, it, it takes a lot more conversation to be in partnership than it does not to be in partnership. Um, but with partnership comes great skills from other people and so if you're in partnership with somebody and um you just have to talk through you know what is your you know, if you maybe there's never been a conversation about risk tolerance it's just been it's evolved and you've done some deals together and you're like oh this is all working out and it, as long as they're working out there's really not a big discussion about risk tolerance and but if it's not working out there's a lot of discussion because then People are contributing more capital or uh, you might have to sell some assets to keep the project going. So I think that's the, the, it's the conversations that you have on a regular basis. Um, you know, this would go back to business structure and you know, communication, which is, you know, are you meeting monthly to go over your financial statements and talk about where these projects are? Or are you just waiting until it's all over and then you have a discussion about it? So, it's, it's a lot of conversations on a regular basis about these hard questions um, and using real numbers. Uh, we were in a situation where we had a business line that it looked like it was going to lose $150,000 in an upcoming year. So we, we'd done the due diligence. We knew we'd run the numbers. We knew we're like, you know what? I think it's not going to work out very well this year for sales. And so we sat around the table, the four owners, and said, okay, it looks like it's going to lose $150,000 if we continue on in this, in this vein, um, you know, everybody get out their checkbook. And then you decide, you know, everyone either throws their checkbook down and says, okay, we're doing it. Or you have some more conversation in that situation. Everyone said, you know, we're not so into that line of business anymore. And there's no <laughs> one wanted to write a check, and, but that's a good conversation. And yeah, but it took, a couple months of a lot of due diligence, looking at numbers. Um, you know, Wes, you were involved in that conversation when we were working on that to try to figure out what was the right thing to do. But, you know, the rubber hits the road when you got to write a check. And that's helpful. To I think as part of those conversations, too, is remembering if you haven't done it to begin with, make sure that everyone's on board as to what the goals are for the business. I mean, th that really helps a lot. If everyone knows what they're trying to accomplish with the business, 
then it's much easier to have those conversations about should we be in this line of business? How much risk do we want to take on if everyone's in lockstep around the goals? If you've never had that conversation and you just kind of assume that your partner is thinking the same thing that you are or vice versa, then it's harder to figure out what you want to do, or there may be more dissension, I guess, uh, between the partners. So I would say, even if you do think that you have common goals, uh, revisiting those goals as part of that monthly discussion or quarterly discussion, or how often, however often you meet to go over your financials and your strategy, I, I think it's pretty important because people do change over time. And you may get to the point in your business where one partner is going, you know, I want to go for it. <laughs> you know, this is I, I see the brass ring and I want to I charge forward with that. And the other partner's going, yeah, I was that way two years ago, but now I'm not feeling that as much. Some different things have changed in my life. And maybe the best answer is sometime for one partner to exit and figure out how to do that. Um, and that can be a legitimate um, <laughs> exit strategy. <laughs> it can be a legitimate way to resolve that difference of opinion. You know, you don't have to be locked in business together. So uh, that's probably another topic too. How do you exit and how do you have that written into all your agreements so that you can uh, split the sheets uh, gracefully if, if you should come to that? It's one of the interesting thing is, is that as we're having these conversations is that so many things do come back to to good structure, good communication, good goal setting. Because as we talk about risk, the risk, everyone's gonna have these different risk tolerances and most likely there hasn't been a discussion about it because you might've come into the business um, because you were good at uh, a trade. Um, you might have said, hey, I'm, I'm good at this and that evolved into a remodeling business or a home building business. And, and then you're just in business. And so you're not having, so some of it's going back I think, and and as you're hearing these different ideas, thinking about, um, well, what things should I think about? I mean, I've got a business and it's up and running and things are going great. And then now we're, what are all the things that I didn't think of when I got started? And, I, and that I think, uh, Spencer, I'm not sure if that's the way you feel about your business, but I feel as I look back all the time, I'm always like, oh, gee, I wish I had thought about that sooner. And so then you think about it as quick as you can. Yeah, I think so. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but uh, certainly with some of those things that that seem to just hit you, and you go, "Oh, like why? Why didn't we think about this before? Why didn't we talk about this before?" Um, and so, hopefully, you know, what we're talking about here is uh, having you guys listen and being able to have some of these conversations sooner uh, that are super helpful because it's interesting. Just, I've been thinking about the last couple of episodes that we, as we've been talking and just a lot of times what you guys say is it just comes back to regular communication around where you stand, where partners in the business stand, you know, where everyone involved kind of stands, whether that's from a risk standpoint or, a you know, how much they want to be bought into the business standpoint or exiting or, you know, all these things. But, um, what I'm curious is, you know, Brooks, you mentioned kind of the regular cadence of monthly meetings, like looking over financials and, you know, Wes, as you think about these types of conversations, are there some steps that people can take just kind of tactical things like, oh, a monthly meeting or do this quarterly or, you know, things that you've done over the years where you've looked back and you say, yeah, that actually is that was really helpful because it brought out some of these conversations or it forced some of these things to happen. Well, I think it goes back to that conversational piece. And, and we always think that everybody else in business knows what's going on. You know, our partners know everything that's going on, but if you've done a good job of splitting up the duties, you're working in different parts of the business, whether you have two, three, four partners. And so you really aren't tuned into what's going on in the other aspects of the business or as much. So at those monthly meetings, I think it's a good job. I mean, a good idea to have a set agenda where you're going to talk about things such as, okay, well, let's, let's review our financials for last month and let's see where we are uh, according to our budget. And so if you're not budgeting, you know, you definitely need to be budgeting and working against that budget to see if you're on or off. Um, and then reviewing your sales pipeline, um, reviewing production, uh, reviewing all the different aspects of the business. And that allows all the partners to weigh in and let everyone else know what's going on. And then that can lead to some really 
constructive conversations um, as to maybe some actions that you should take, which you might miss because we get very tunnel tunnel vision in our businesses. And as you said, you know, looking backwards, you go, oh, that was very obvious, but it's not very obvious if you're just working the day to day and you got your nose down and you're really working hard. So those meetings can also be an opportunity to say, hey, what's going on in the bigger picture? Is there something else that we should be thinking about as well? I'm going to give you a little, well, actually a big piece of insight that most construction companies don't even realize. Nearly all of the problems you encounter in your projects and business have one thing in common, communication or lack thereof. Think about the last time a project went sideways. I'm guessing if you traced it back to its source, it had something to do with a miss or miscommunication. In fact, 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to poor communication during projects. Needless to say, good communication needs to be a priority in your business. And that's especially true with everything that's happening around us today. BuildBook has created a simple solution that makes communicating with your clients and team incredibly easy so nothing slips through the cracks. And as a reminder, they've also made it 100% free for you to use during this uncertain climate we're currently in. So hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK, one word, to 33777, and they'll send you a link to sign up. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm a big, uh, or myself and, and my brother Todd, his wife, and my wife, because we were we owned a business together, and we did monthly steering meetings, as we call it, a steering meeting, and it had a set agenda, and um, to your point, Wes, and it covered sales, uh, sales pipeline, um, budgets, you know, income statement for the month, so that you're you know working against your your income your budget for the year. Um, it went over warranty because warrant for construction warranty can be a big liability. Any any headwinds there? Any unhappy clients that are causing you know that are are kind of rattling the sabers? So that was all something we always managed. Um, and we had uh, cash flow, and we always had miscellaneous under miscellaneous. Or we had uh, and we also had staffing. So any any staffing issues? Are people giving notice? Are we you know we're losing staff? Are we having to hire and that way all four owners were all in the same place um, at all times and then you could have those discussions about also new opportunities which goes back to this risk question and um, there's an evolution of how people are feeling about risk depending on what's going on in the business at that moment and how they're feeling um, just on a monthly basis now there's bigger meetings annually and semi-annually where you really dig in and decide are we are we going to pursue maybe there's a land acquisition you want to pursue and you know, are we looking for this size of properties or are we looking for something that would be uh, this type of client for remodeling you know we really want to focus on kitchens or bathrooms or full house remodels uh, those kind of things so i don't know spencer in your business how do you handle uh, you know communicating like that with these you know with meetings yeah i mean we've we've pretty much adopted the monthly cadence as well and, you know, basically a lot of the stuff that Wes was walking through, you know, those different components of the business and ours is such that um, I'm the most active day to day. And then there are three other uh, owners in the business that are less active. And so that really is a lot of me having to communicate what's going on or they're asking questions of me to learn and uncover some of that so that when we do get to decision time for, Hey, we want to invest these dollars in this place or that place. Then they're asking questions to find out, you know, Oh, is, is this something that we do want to want to do? Um, and you know, I've been fortunate enough that there's a lot of trust there. So a lot of times they just say, yeah, go for it. But, uh, there's probably a lot of discussion around it. So Pete, you're, you know, it's like anything, you got to be bringing your team with you all the way and, and your ownership groups, part of your team, you know, plus your employees. So you have to keep those, you know, those owners owners in position about where you're running the business. And there always needs to be a business manager. Someone's got to run the overall business. And you know, owners can be split up on their regular duties, but someone's got to make sure there's you know there's cash in the checkbook and someone's got to make sure the bills are getting paid and, and sales are coming in. So you can do it as a team, but someone should, you know, always has to be the business manager. I yeah. 
And but, I just, yeah, go oh, ahead. I was just going to say on that that regular cadence, that regular cadence, once again, not to, to beat a dead horse, but it does provide the information that's necessary, especially if less active partners. Uh, so they're, they're, if they have a low risk tolerance, it can help diffuse any issues around that by having that regular communication. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and let's talk about uh, let's talk about high risk moves. And so uh, I was thinking about this. I know you guys have had different opportunities to uh, make different moves over the years, and you could probably categorize some of them as high risk. So let's start with uh, maybe a couple of things where you made a, a high risk move, and maybe Wes, you can jump in first where it didn't work out because I think most often it's our losses where we have the most learning, you know, so, and we'll, I'll give you a chance to, to, you know, share some, some wins and some victories too. Let's, let's start with the L's, you know, yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll finish with the highs. (laughs) One that pops to mind right away is probably just when the internet was really coming on strong and there was, um, people were really trying to move their businesses online in terms of online ordering. And of course we, at this point is in the direct mail business uh, using direct mail promotion. And so I came up with a great idea that I should target veterinarians with a campaign there where they could go online and they could easily create a, a monthly reminder card customized to them that would be sent out to all of their clients to remind them of particular things, or it could be, you know, like uh, flea, flea and tick month, you know, it'd be February, you go in and create a card and it's all personalized. So I, I was gung ho on this. I was totally in, uh, went and found a web developer, uh, got a designer, you know, did a little, uh, did a little market research, you know, called a few vets, uh, went and <laughs> visited uh, the Humane Society, you know, I did very random sort of market research. <laughs> And, but I was convinced. I was totally convinced. I mean, I had drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. So anyway, I, uh, I sunk, I don't know, probably a hundred grand or so into this endeavor at the time, which was a chunk of money for me at the moment. And I was really looking for ways to expand our business. And that's why I was doing this. And I would have to say that it bombed probably probably the biggest bomb ever. <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, I maybe yeah. got uh, one vet to sign up. And what I discovered, which 2020 hindsight, was that veterinarians really are not business people. They're doctors. So they have a strong desire to help, and uh, but they tend not to be around growing their business. And so what I, the fatal flaw or the fatal mistake I made was looking at them and saying, Oh, they're like me. They want to grow their business. Right. They, they, they want to take over the marketplace in their town. And that was totally wrong. So as that was, why was that high risk? It was high risk because I didn't do what we talked about at the beginning of the program, which is I didn't do all the due diligence. I didn't figure out what could go wrong. I didn't say, okay, um, is anyone really going to buy this? I just convinced myself that they would. And so I think the smarter move would have been obviously to do a lot more due diligence and a lot more market research. But I think I didn't want to spend the money or the time because I got very excited about the idea. So sometimes you get very excited about our ideas and become convinced that they're fantastic and uh, that we are wonderful and <laughs> do that and we should spend money and we're going to make a ton too. <laughs> so that was kind of more of my, you know, uh, going to Vegas and putting it all on black. Uh, I didn't think that I was, but I kind of was. Yeah. No, and in you know, having you know, having been having conversations with you while you went through that uh, vet success mailer, yeah, um, it didn't seem like it at the time because it's like, well, this all seems to make sense, but then it goes back to doing more due diligence and questioning. You know, I call in the sales process, you call it questioning down, which is you just keep questioning down till you get to the real the real answer. And sometimes in our excitement, especially in the construction business, the home building business, you get excited about, you know, gee, everyone's going to love some kind of new product that I've come up with that I just think's great. And you don't do the due diligence to find out really, is it? And you don't test market it. 
you could just market it. And I think that that's key. And I think if you are thinking of going into a new line of business, so let's say you say, hey, I want to fire up a handyman division, or if you're in spec building and you want to go into remodeling, or if you're in remodeling, you want to go into spec building, always ask yourself, um, oh, no, I guess the point I wanted to make there is make sure that you don't have the mindset of uh, if we build it, they will come. Many people do go into that. They think, oh, I can just hang out my shingle and people start knocking on my door. So whatever you're budgeting for your startup, for that division or that new activity, make sure you at, at least double it in terms of what your marketing spend should be. Or maybe you haven't thought about how you're going to market it. But that's one of the key pieces of any new business is how am I going to market it? How am I going to get out there and get in front of my customers? Yeah, how yeah. are you going to sell the product? Excuse me, Spence. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say, you know, Wes, you and I were talking about that the other day. And, you know, uh, based on our conversation, something that you could have done in that scenario was actually go to a bunch of vets and explain the concept and take deposits and say, hey, we're thinking about building this, you know, ETA is whenever, hey, we'll take 500 bucks, you know, and, and if we don't build it, you know, we'll refund it, but here's the concept. And then when people actually trade dollars, then, you know, you're on to something, but um, you know, to your point, you, we get, we get excited about the idea. We're like, oh yeah. It makes so much sense to me. Um, but selling something is, is totally different. So uh, I think one thing though, is, is going to other people that have no stake in it and have no, you know, they, they care for your well being, <laughs> but that's about it. Um, and then get their unvarnished feedback. Cause some, you know, if they'll tell you, they'll go, man, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, and sometimes <laughs> it is. Yeah, sometimes it is. Yeah, for sure. So, Brooks, uh, what about you? Any any high risk moves that didn't pay off, and what were the lessons? Yeah, the uh, lessons are always always check with your uh, significant other before you buy something. So, yeah, <laughs> I had this great idea. I was driving by this one building that I thought uh, the it was called the Holly Creek, and it was in in our local town, and it was an eighteen unit. And I just thought this building was fantastic. So. Um, I was looking at it, looking at it, kind of talked about it. Um, and there's a little you know, question on history here, whether I really talked about it with my wife or really didn't talk about it with my wife. And uh, <laughs> while she was on a three-week trip to Morocco with her sister, I bought this 18-unit apartment building. She comes back. And I'm like, hey, good news. That just sounds like a high-risk move already. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless well, of the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Right. So anyway, I'm like, hey, guess what? We bought this apartment building. Um, and so number one, that she wasn't super excited about that, but she got on board. So we closed on it, um, a week after nine 11. So number one, didn't check with my partner Two, uh, of course had no idea that, uh, what nine 11 would do the real estate market in our area. Um, so no planning, you know, no deep planning. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll buy this building like every other building I've bought with lots of leverage and it'll work out just fine. Oh yeah. Ended up selling it three years later, you know, so 2001, two, three, before the market turned around in our area. And, uh, you know, I think I lost 200 grand or something. Yeah, just a total miss. Yeah, so anyway, so it was called the Holly Creek. It became known as Hell Creek. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I I got out of it. Uh, but yeah, no due diligence, not a lot of due, due diligence besides driving by and like, yeah, I like it. We did an inspection. I'm like, oh yeah, it'll all be fine. So just total lack of due diligence, not checking with your partners, make sure everybody's on board because when things get worse, if they're not on board, it just becomes much more unpleasant. Um, and then the building ended up getting sold at the wrong time because there wasn't the Per, there wasn't a commitment to it because I hadn't done those first few steps. You know, of course, you can always right. say now, 19 years later, I should have held on to it because it's quadrupled in value or something. But again, not doing those first steps so that everybody's on board, especially in real estate, because it's a long haul. So I think in, in real estate, works. I mean, it's, well, I think human nature in general says that, that we tend to extrapolate, right? So we always extrapolate Either, you know, if the line's going up, we just keep extrapolating up. If it's going down, we keep extrapolating down. And that's not the way it works. You know, lines bend. 
and and they usually do. I mean, that's probably more common that they will bend uh, either Absolutely. down, right? And so, you know, if you're not a- accounting for that, you can uh, you can certainly be in a world of hurt. So, yeah, and it sounds like in both of those examples you guys just talked about, I mean, excitement was what led to taking the action. And so, sounds like you know, slow down a little when you get ready to make a big move, and just make sure you're checking those boxes, doing a little more research than you think you need, even if things seem to be really good on the surface. Um, and then obviously the communication piece. And if you have partners involved that, that step, cause to your point, Brooks, if you would have had those conversations, everyone was excited about it, knowing that there could be potential downside at times, you, you may have held on to it. You know, if you had the, the buy-in and I think that the was buy-in. a good point. Yeah. The, and the other, just something to jump in my, my head as you're saying that Spencer was, is that, you know, it's easier if you write small checks to start with to kind of measure your commitment. And I think that's helpful. You say, okay, um, if you're talking here, you got multiple partners, you're like, this is a great idea. Let's everybody just write up, let's contribute capital to this idea. And that really just helps to determine whether people really want to do something. Because sometimes people sit in a meeting and go like, yeah, okay. And the money's coming out of the company checkbook. You know, which if it's something new, it's like, oh, it's a land acquisition that you're like, you know, this is something that we haven't done before. Everybody write a personal check to contribute the capital, and you really can find out if if the partners are committed, if any partners they have are committed, um, because you can be partners just with one other person, but they have influencers, you know, in their life that you know, affect their thought process, and they have to take that whatever information that the the business has in that small environment go out and you know check with whoever else is they're sharing their money with or who their partners with um and then you can find out because there's there's typically not just two people in the business together or three there's four or six because of those relationships that's funny that you mentioned that about the the check writing because spencer just mentioned that about customers as well right so maybe maybe that's a theme which is if people are willing to part with their money either in a deposit because they like the product or service that you're talking about, or your partners are willing to put money into the game, you know, that you have to write a check, then that is some level of commitment. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> Tesla, you know, when they introduced their, their new truck here. So we'll see if they ever build their new truck, but they were taking online deposits for 500 bucks or something like that. And they, so, Part of that was to to try to figure out what's the depth of the market and how committed are people? Are they willing to put up five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something uh, if before we build this truck? So, yeah, I think they got quite a few deposits. Who knows? If the question it. would be if you take a non-refundable deposit. That's right. Because I think money. that would be yeah. that's the real test of the, of the market, which is uh, and you, again, you can do this in your business because sometimes you're contributing capital and you're like. That's a non-refundable deposit. I may never see that money back, and I don't know how hard I work for it. So I think it would have been a, a much bolder move for Tesla to have said, "We're taking non-refundable deposits for this truck," hmm, and be yeah. a true test of how much people believed in it. Because it's pretty easy to put down five hundred bucks refundable on your Visa card, and right? You say, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm in," and uh, you know, you're going to build a you know, $2 billion manufacturing facility based on $500 refunding the deposit. <laughs> uh, but a, a good test of, a good test of, well, hey, what do we really, potentially what's the market out there, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So Wes, let's let's flip it. Let's talk about high risk moves that that have paid off. Do you have one that comes to mind? Well, I think the, the highest risk move I took was uh, asking my wife to, to marry me. She said, yes, it paid off in spades has worked out really really well so i think that was my highest risk um i think the second one probably was moving across the country to buy a business and moving the family and and doing that and that worked out really well uh as well so i think sometimes you do have to make that leap so we've been talking a lot about uh getting everyone's input and doing all your due diligence and figuring out what your worst case scenarios are but eventually, you do have to take the step, whatever it is, if you do want to get the reward. And so I think that's the flip side of it, is that action is required. If, if, you, consen- if you consistently talk yourself out of everything, 
you're really not, you're not going to gain, you're not going to grow. And you know, that's, that's too bad. And some people are in that boat where they really will take zero risk. Um, and that just limits their growth as a person, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it makes sense. I was, as you were talking about, I was thinking, you know, anytime I think about something positive that's happened in my life in any area, it doesn't have to be monetarily. It's usually action is what started it, you know, and you, you chalk up some L's and you get some wins, but you know, if you continue to take action and then do some of these other things that you guys have talked about, you know, you'll, you'll end up winning more often or the wins will offset the losses by a long shot and you learn from the losses. So you're able to, to move ahead. But uh, I think you can also ask yourself, how can I, how can I spread my bets? Sure. So, you know, I'm going to do this, but are there some other bets I can make at the same time that would offset that somehow and provide a softer landing if things don't work out? Yeah. How about you, Brooks? Is it, you got Isn't one coming to mind? Interesting question. Cause we talked about risk tolerance. I'm like, you know, none of the things I've ever done have I thought it's been super risky. So that's where <laughs> I think that that's I'm like, okay, well, that's probably a problem there. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and we've, uh, we've done some land deals where, you know, it's, it's been, I think, probably pretty risky. I never felt they were risky, but I think probably most people would look at them and go, ooh, that's pretty risky. We bought some land, you know, in the city where, you know, you had to get tons and tons of entitlements. It would take three, four years. The market would be going up or going down. Um, and sometimes those land positions really pay off over time as you battle your way through it. So again, your land development is probably one of the riskiest mm-hmm. businesses there is out there, I think, you know, besides home building or construction where you're having to really leverage, leverage up. Um, but yeah, we had some land deals that went really, really well. Um, probably the most risky thing I've been doing recently was actually closing our construction business and saying, okay, I'm going to go do something else. And, you know, not knowing what that, you know, what that would be. So I would say that would be pretty risky with the way, the way I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Because you knew that world, right. (laughs) You know, so the risk is in the unknown in, in that scenario. Um, Cool. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully those lessons learned uh, help some of you guys out there. And I guess as we kind of get to the end of this conversation on risk, you know, um, another question that came to mind is kind of like, when do you wish you would have risked more, uh, either in in a certain instance or (coughs) just time of your life? And maybe Wes, you can chime in on this, but, um, you know, thinking about Man, should have should have really gone for it there. Yeah, I'm gonna kick it to Brooks because I'm oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about that question. I need to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, Brooks, do you have well, I think the you know for me when you can risk more question really, it's always easy to look back and say, oh well, that went so well. I should have you know instead of investing a hundred grand, I should have put you know a million dollars if I had it. Um, and I think I would, the way to, for me to think about it has been, I should have risked more by um, talking to more people about different ways of doing deals. Um, mm. So we always did everything with our own capital. And I think if I had talked to more people about using their capital, then we could have grown to a much larger size and had more revenue and net, and net income. So limiting my thought to well just do it with what i have so as as people are listening and thinking well i only have x amount of capital it's actually going out and talking to people and saying hey i've got a great idea it's working well and you know there's potential for growth here um are you interested in investing you know as a a limited partner or something like that i think that would have that's probably the thing that i uh, looking back would have said okay using other people's money um, could have allowed for greater growth instead of just looking at, and then that's a way of uh, moderate, uh, mitigating risk. You're not putting all your own money on the table. You're asking other people to believe in what you're doing. So yeah, there's loss, but it's not going to be all your money. So you're, you're, you're sharing the game and sharing the risk. So I don't know, but what do you think about that Wes? based on? Oh, no, I think that's a, that's a great example. Um, and as you were saying that, I guess I was thinking maybe in a slightly different tack. I think 
uh, I think we can always risk more personally. So, you know, as I think about myself as going through life, I think, you know, I definitely could have risked more around doing things that I was pretty uncomfortable with and expanding those skill sets, which I think would have reduced my risk maybe on the business side. So, you know, if you're afraid of public speaking, doing more public speaking, uh, if you're afraid of writing, if you're afraid of calling on customers, you know, risking more around those areas, which will then allow your business to grow and, and you to grow as a person. You know, I think, I don't know, you know, comfort is the kind of the baseline for all of us or not for everybody, but certainly for me. So I think if you're too comfortable, then you're probably not growing and you're probably not risking enough. And I think ongoing thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Just making yourself a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's the, if you're, and I, for us, it's certainly, if you're, I was doing deals where I was feeling uncomfortable, it's just kind of, it was a, it was a gut check. Well, how uncomfortable do I feel? Right. And if the more comfortable you felt, probably the less uh, less risk and the less opportunity for returns. The more uncomfortable I felt, it was like, oh yeah, this is getting a little bit sketchy out here. Uh, but you can you can do that with your like you say. Was like, yeah, I would never. For me, highest risk thing would be for me to stand up in front of somebody and give a speech. Yeah, that would be it. You know, that would just be off the charts. Never, never be willing to do that. But making yourself uncomfortable in many different ways to try to grow as an individual or as, as a business. And, um, I think uh, your business only grows as much as you do. So, absolutely. you know, as, as all of us, you know, we're all small business owners or been small business owners. And, and uh, sometimes that's a small business just because that's what we want and that fits in with our goals which is great, but I know that there's a lot of small business owners out there that would like to be a lot larger. And I guess my only suggestion would be look at yourself and ask, what can I do for myself to expand my skill sets and to push myself in ways that then the business can follow along behind me? Good point. Yeah, I like that. And it was interesting listening to both of your answers. You answered it differently, but really at the core of of that, it was um, knowledge, you know, cause Brooks, you said, well, I would have looked for other ways or looked to other people to maybe like get some capital or something. And really it was expanding your knowledge base of how do you do deals? Can you do it differently versus I just know this one way and I'm just repeating it and you can only go so fast. But if you have the expanded knowledge, suddenly, you know, you can go faster, but to your point, risk was lowered. And same with what you were talking about, Wes, which was, hey, if you continue to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations, now you've had more life experience, you have experience across different aspects and channels. And so suddenly you may be looking to other people like you're taking more risk, but to you, it doesn't feel as risky because you have the knowledge and the experience or the skills. So uh, interesting that you guys both uh, both said that, but any any final thoughts on risk as we wrap up for today? I think this has been pretty, pretty awesome. I guess the only thing I'd say is, you know, don't put it all on black uh, <laughs> Vegas, <laughs> but certainly do go out and, and, and risk something, you know, go out there and, and play the game. You only got one shot to do it. So. Yeah, I would, I would agree. It's the, it, you know, take the risk, um, ask the hard questions about, Hey, how can I mitigate the risk? How can I make sure this is, uh, even if it's a failure, it's not, you know, a business ending failure, but continue to you know, risk. Uh, so you can see some rewards. Very cool. Cool. Well, good, good thoughts to end on. And uh, thanks again, everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week for another episode of building a family business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Again, I always like to hit you guys with some takeaways. So today was all about risk. And I think a couple of good takeaways are uh, one being what we just talked about right at the very end. And that was basically expanding your knowledge base. So Brooks's example was, hey, I wish I would have known about more ways to do deals that would have allowed him to go faster, but it also would have uh, allowed him to minimize some of that risk. So I think as you expand your knowledge base, your skill set, you can actually capitalize on higher uh, reward opportunities that come with higher risk, but you're actually minimizing the risk involved. 
Uh, and then what Wes said was basically forcing yourself to grow and, and basically the business not being able to grow until you as an individual grow. And so looking for those ways to get uncomfortable. And so I like as a good action item, thinking about things that make you uncomfortable and trying to take a step into that zone this week, something that can uh, put you in that uncomfortable situation. And that immediately starts to force that personal growth because ultimately as you do things that, that are uncomfortable, you start to get more comfortable with them and then you can push to the next level. And so that by definition is how you grow is becoming uncomfortable and putting yourself in those situations. Uh, and then the second big takeaway was really around communication. And so figuring out what your risk uh, you know, tolerance is, what uh, your business partner's risk tolerance is, people that are in your uh, personal lives. And if you're involved in taking risk, it's important to have these conversations, see where people are and getting buy-in when you make different moves and make these you know, decisions. And so I think those two takeaways were uh, really big from this week's episode and really appreciate you guys tuning in. We'd love your feedback on this new show. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week on Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Family.